Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Project Loving Myself podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. I think there's also a lot of things that we can do. You don't need to just accept whatever is the accepted notion of that given time. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hello, everyone. This is Sanaya, and I'm back with you on the Project Loving Myself podcast. Holistic is the operative word for our guest today. She believes that it is essential to be holistic in the way we eat, shop, consume, and create. Not only is she passionate about the environment, food sustainability, wellness, and social responsibility, but her decision to transition from city life to farm life is a game changer that I can't wait to explore more about in this episode. From being an independent designer under her own label, an advocate of holistic living, the owner of biodynamic farm Holy Carabao, and a loving mother to her four kids, time to roll out the red carpet to our earth mama, Hindi Weber. In this podcast episode, we will talk to Hindi about adapting to farm life, reconnecting with nature, while still continuing her involvement in the fashion world. We will also explore her philosophies on life and approach to holistic living. So please join me in welcoming Hindi Weber to the Project Loving Myself podcast. Welcome to the show, Hindi. Thank you, Sanaya. I'm very happy to be here to talk about our different passions. I think you have so many different things to say about well-being, so I'm really looking forward to talking about a variety of different subjects. So let's start, Hindi, with this idea of being holistic. What does that mean to you? Basically, you, you hear a lot of trendy keywords today like organic or sustainable or green or eco. But to me, it's very compartmentalized, you know, like some people can eat organic food, but let's say still take a lot of antibiotics and prescription medication, things like that. So for me, holistic is really an overall integrative approach to living life. So everything from food to the choices we make for our children's education, 
how we treat our uh, different illnesses or health matters, even the activities that we have at home, and also how we do business and the, the choices, the careers that we choose to partake in, for example. So it's all kind of a symphony of different activities that we choose to do holistically. So it's really like an approach to life. When you start living life in a very holistic manner, you're starting to make choices that are based on a set of values or a set of ideas that seem to be unified in um, maybe the word I would use, which is another trendy word, is the idea of, of being very conscious in the way you choose to live your life. So a conscious, holistic approach. Would you agree with that, Hindi? Yes, definitely conscious. It's not the easy thing because it requires you to participate with your head and your heart and your hands into everything that you do. So it's it's not in the beginning it's a lot of work and you know not the most convenient thing especially when we need to make changes. But once you decide that there's really no other way to live with integrity, you realize that the seeming inconveniences at the start are just minor hurdles, you know, to actually living in a way that you would be comfortable with. And that's really a conscious way. It's it's a light-footed way and kind of an approach to life that goes beyond your comforts, right? It really takes into account other people's lives, their livelihoods, how our choices affect the planet, and seeing things with a longer view as opposed to short-term gains. So Hindi, I completely identify with what you're talking about, but I also know that for a lot of our listeners out there, it would sound like a lot of work. You know, it would sound like you have to really uproot your life to make this kind of an approach possible to integrate, you know, in today's society. Is there time for this kind of an approach and a lifestyle? And is it achievable for the average person? I think it's absolutely achievable, 100% achievable. Whether it's easy, that's that's a question. But what our, our society has not been built for this purpose. Mm-hmm. Our society, unfortunately, has developed into one of materialism and extreme convenience to the detriment of our health and our environment. So sure, you can choose to live in that convenient way, right? In the way that our society has somewhat created and the powers that be have kind of developed Mm -hmm. Uh, certain industries in ways that would seemingly be in our favor or in service of us, in service of our convenience. But actually, if you really look at the long view, they've been more detrimental to our health and the health of our planet. So once you realize that, you it, it becomes a decision on whether you want to be a willing participant to that or not. So how does one make this shift, Hindi? And maybe you can tell me a little bit more about, 
you know, how did you get into this way of living? How did you make the the shift? Was it something that was like an overnight decision and you just started making different choices? Was it something that happened over time? And what was it that was going on in your life that perhaps either motivated you or drew you into this kind of a direction of living your life? Well, as a child, I was always a nature lover. I loved being in the garden. I asked my mom for uh, so many books on animals and biology, encyclopedia. So I was kind of a, I nerded out a lot on science, on animals, on plants. And I took comfort. I was, I was an only child, but I was in a mixed family. So I had step siblings and I was the youngest. So anytime like I, I needed a refresher or I need, I was afraid or I was sad or angry, I would take to nature and just observe the little bugs in the garden or like I'd turn stones around to just see what was under them. I'd play with my dogs. I'd observe the clouds, look at the clouds. I'd, you know, observe the new seedlings in the yard. So nature was always a source of comfort and inspiration for me. However, being in school didn't really support that. You know, there was, of course, there was science class, right? And there was a You'd play PE sometimes outdoors, but it, it wasn't very nature centric. And school kind of got busier and busier, right? You had to kind of just submit right. work, and uh, the the higher up in the grades you got, the more deadlines you had. And so I had less and less time with nature. Next thing you know, it's high school, and then your interests kind of shift. You, you start thinking about your friends more and maybe some boys, you know, next thing you know, you're in college and the deadlines are still there. And um, long story short, I forgot about my connection with nature and so much so that I didn't even pursue my childhood dream of being a scientist. So basically, I forgot that I was intrinsically connected to nature. I moved to New York City, went to school there and had and got married, had my first child there. It was put in the back burner, I suppose. I, I studied fashion and pursued a fashion career. So I was breastfeeding my firstborn. And at like four or five months, we had to think about what to give him his first solid food. And that was kind of the can of worms because okay so after breastfeeding what do I give him what's okay right and this was 21 years ago it was just like boxed cereal that you add milk to and yeah. and those jars with baby food mashed baby food and then so I started thinking maybe I can do that myself you know make my own recipes and then like okay what are the ingredients so what should I put in the what kind of vegetables and that's what got the ball rolling like what would the best food be and when we had our second child we already moved back to the philippines we were living in the heart of makati mm -hmm. and we just started realizing that the air wasn't so fresh and that the food that we found in the supermarkets weren't very trustworthy 
And there were also um, a couple of organic weekend markets, but we weren't so sure about the sources, even if they said they were organic. So long story short, we decided to grow our own food and move to, to Laguna, build a small farmhouse and literally just plant food in our backyard. So that's how it started. And once we did that, I dove headfirst into organic farming and biodynamic farming. And this just brought everything back on my connection with nature, what, what, how I think, how I prefer to live my life and how I, I prefer to raise my children. And that was it. There was no turning back. So it kind of also influenced everything else that we were doing at that point, including our work. Okay. So Hindi, what I'm hearing from you is that this relationship with nature began as a child. And of course, you know, life happens to us. And this is the case with everybody. We get kind of sucked in to this fast paced, busy, you know, city life, and we feel disconnected. But with you, you took it a step further, because you wanted to nourish your child you put in all that time and effort, I'm guessing, into really exploring and understanding food. And, you know, I did that with my first son as well. When I was pregnant for the first time and I had to start thinking about feeding my, my son, exactly like you, I was breastfeeding as well. And I started to really look for organic food because now it was about my child. And I've always gravitated towards organic food. I mean, I've, I lived in New York City for seven years as well. I lived in Dubai, Japan. So I'm also used to a much bigger variety of food options. And um, I've lived in places where you can really trust things like food labels, or there are organizations that are taking care of the this aspect of, you know, verifying and, and validating that what people are putting on labels is, is, in, is in fact the case. And even for me, you know, moving here to the Philippines, I remember I really had to kind of navigate the whole food variety and options and trying to find the right places to get my food. So I remember also really trying to find organic food. And I had the same concerns was I never knew whether what people were saying was really, in fact, the truth. And sometimes, you know, it's a labeling issue. Like someone will say something will say no added blah, 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 like no added hormones. But that doesn't mean it didn't have hormones to begin with. Right. It's just they didn't add any more. So, you know, there was a lot of like this misinformation and things aren't very clear in the Philippines. So. How do you feel about that? And why is it that way? I mean, someone who's, you know, born and raised here and then probably done a lot of her own discovery. You know, what, what do you think of that? The fact that we can't really trust what's going on in the market. And how do you deal with that? Uh, just like everything else in the government, it lacks consistency and there are actually certifying bodies, believe it or not, in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's, first of all, very price prohibitive. So for small family farmers who want to get certified, it's too expensive. Sadly, to have an organic farm, the, the burden is actually on the organic farmer. Okay. So... You'd have to have very deep pockets and 
large-scale production in order to be a certified organic farm here in the Philippines. So it's not very supportive of smaller organic farms. So what we have here is we create smaller groups and we create participatory guarantee systems. For example, our farm, Holy Carabao, belongs to Laguna Cooperative. And then the Biodynamic Association, we have our own group as well. So we kind of like have private groups just to support each other. We somewhat audit each other and have our own guidelines. So Hindi, what do you think about the fact that from the point of view from the consumer, right? We have to take what we see in the market, but do you think there's any integrity in that? And can we trust what's going on right now? To be honest, not really. So it's still a buyer beware kind of market if I were to be perfectly honest, right? I know quite a few quote-unquote, organic labeled brands on the supermarket shelves that are not organic. And we in the industry know that for a fact, right? And there's no way of verifying that. So it's really a buyer beware kind of market. And I would highly recommend to all consumers to know who's growing your food, whether or not it has a, an organic sticker on it or not. Really know where you grow your own food. So, for example, even us in Holy Carabao, we're very transparent about what we grow, how we grow it. You can even visit our farm if you wanted to. You can see your produce growing there. We like to say that this is also food that we eat ourselves. My partner, Melanie and Go. Melanie Go and I, we, this is the food that we feed our families. So it's food that we trust. That's what's on my shopping list too. Whatever that we don't grow ourselves, we buy from trusted sources, whether they're friends or even if they're not friends, I will do research on that company. So for people who are looking to buy organic, how can they research or find out more? I mean, is it you know, to the degree of go visit the farm. And I, I too have had friends who have visited the farms that they buy from, but it feels like that's a lot of effort too, you know, because there are so many different suppliers and we have to be very, you know, not everything's available at the supermarket all the time as well. So how much of this work do you think we have to do? I think the simplest, simplest way is to avoid the supermarkets for your fresh produce. That's what I would do. If you didn't have a lot of time to do research, I would avoid the supermarkets for your fresh produce. I have an advocacy to bring back the glory of our neighborhood Palenque. So, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's not necessarily organic, I love the idea of community markets, palenques, and, you know, having a suki and, you know, meeting your suki every week and you bring your children there. I bring my children to the palenque and I talk to them and I ask them, so where did this one come from? Where did this fish come from? Da, 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 da. And, you know, that alone, that social interaction 
makes up for, you know, that, that organic certification, right? There are certain things, though, for example, like vegetables that you're going to juice or eat raw. So those are kinds of things that I would not compromise or my chicken and my eggs, for example. So those I, I would spend the time to research on those. Right. Also, con- consider things that you consume daily. So most of us consume a lot of rice daily, right? So Mm -hmm. what kind of rice are you having every day? What are you putting in your body every day? So are they genetically modified rice? Have they been bleached? We had this fantastic experiment. You know, a lot of people think that I'm vegan. I I don't eat fast food. I'm like anti all these commercial foods, but it's not true. I mean, I also enjoy these things with my family. So actually last week, you know, we didn't want to cook. So let's order from this fast food place. So we ordered and it came and the rice was there and I happened to, I have new glasses just this year, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm 47 and I realized, oh my God, I need glasses already. <laughs> so I was there and with my new glasses, I saw the rice from this fast food. And I said, like, oh my God, the rice is blue. And my daughter was like, it's not blue, it's white. And I said, no, it's bluish. You know how fluorescent light is yeah. bluish, bluish white? Yes. And I said, it's, I can see it with my new glasses. It's bluish white. And, and she was like, no, it's like totally white. So I was like, go check for our white rice. And sure enough, we had white rice that happened to still be in the cooker and the pot. So we brought it out and we took a picture of the both white rice, the, the, the fast food white rice and our white rice. And it was a completely different shade. The fast food rice was actually over bleached bluish white i don't know what they did to it how they processed that rice to make it like that but you know what i'm saying so wow you know hindi i i i'm very careful about my vegetables and my fruits we like to eat a lot of vegetables and we like to eat raw um sometimes i never thought about rice as being something i had to be careful about i mean we eat mostly brown rice in my house but are these things we should be also concerned about with brown rice? Absolutely. Anything you consume every day, if it's milk, the oil that you cook with, the coffee that you drink every day, that's where you should start. The sugar that you put in your drinks and your coffee that you cook with, that's what you need to look at. The, the things that you eat daily. So if you want to have an ice cream or a cake and whatever once in a while, I wouldn't worry so much about that. It's it's really the things that we consume daily. Hindi, let's talk a bit about terms, okay? Just to get everyone sort of on the same page. What's the difference between organic food, non-organic food, and biodynamic food? Okay. Non-organic food is food that's been grown or produced or manufactured with the use of synthetic pesticides or genetically modified seeds. And if they're manufactured, they've been manipulated or processed 
in order to be either shelf-stable, meaning they don't spoil easily. Right. So that's or, the preservatives, right? right They're putting right. preservatives, right? Right. So basically, it's dead food that's that just happens to have flavor, <laughs> right? That's how I would categorize non-organic food. I, I also want to say that there's natural food, right? So there's natural food that, let's say, bananas, where they're, they just grow abundantly. You don't need fertilizer or pesticide for most bananas that grow wild. And that's perfectly fine. It's a perfectly fine, natural, healthy food, right? You, you get into problems when you have hectares and hectares of monocropping of bananas. And those are probably the ones that need spraying of pesticides, right? So anytime you get into large-scale production of food, the, that company will most likely compromise on the safety, or I wouldn't say safety, but more on the health-giving benefits and nutrition of that food. Right. Right. So then organic food, which a lot of companies are using now, is basically food that's grown without chemical fertilizers and preservatives. Okay. So so how does someone who's growing organic food then, you know, take care of things like insects or making sure there's enough minerals in the fertilizer? How do they handle all the requirements of growing the food in a way that is organic? So they will use natural forms of fertilization and pest control, right? It depends on the size of the farm. So if you have a larger farm, they will use, you know, some people will use growth enzymes or they will use seaweed, for example. So it depends. You can already buy a lot of organic mixes for a higher yield. So it really depends on the scale of your farm. There's also organic food that's processed, though. You'll find some soups that are in cans mm -hmm. that say organic, right? So they use organic ingredients. However, they've still been processed, right? Or you'll see an organic snack. So saying they've used organic wheat flour and orga or organic corn or, you know, and they avoided the use of let's say MSG, for example. But yeah, like non-GMO, non you'll see like a non-GMO right. label, but it's still processed food. It's still processed food. So that's something that consumers should know and be aware of, right? Then there's biodynamic food, which we like to call beyond organic. So it's not just the crop itself that we're focused on. We're actually more concerned about the quality of the soil. It starts with the soil. We think of the entire farm as one living organism. So the people living on the farm or the people who live off of the farm, meaning the staff, the entire team, how they're treated, their wages, is it living wages? Do they have benefits, et cetera? 
we take into account the environment around the farm. So is it an urban farm? Are, are you right by a road, a busy road with a lot of air pollution? Is the water, is there fresh water nearby or is it dirty, contaminated water? So all these things we consider in biodynamic farming. In addition to that, we also look to the sky, the cosmos, the moon, the sun, the, the planets, and how all that affects the growth of not just the plants, but the, the microorganisms and the fungal networks in the soil. So we really take care of the soil first, and that takes care of the plants. We see the soil as the cornerstone of life in our farm. So you're working with the foundation. You're working with, you know, the the land before it starts to nurture the plants that eventually are going to bear the fruits or the vegetables that we eat. So you're going right to ground zero. Absolutely. Wow. And what does this do, Hindi? Like, so we talked a little bit about organic, non-organic, natural, organic processed, and biodynamic. So there are a lot of different varieties. Now, from your perspective, what are these different types of food and different ways of delivering food? What are they doing to our bodies? They're doing a heck of a lot to our bodies. <laughs> Let's see, where do I start with that question? We let, me, are- let me add something, Hindi. Like maybe you can also give us a kind of like a scale. You know, what's the best safest, healthiest, what comes next and what do we avoid? Maybe something like that would be easier for us to also understand and follow. Okay. Number one safest food, in my opinion, is biodynamic food and food grown in a permaculture farm. So permaculture and biodynamic agriculture is the best food source, in my opinion. Okay. And what is permaculture? Permaculture is is similar to biodynamic agriculture in that it, it, again, it takes the whole farm as one organism. So it, and, and it always takes into account the flow of the wind, the flow of water, the living conditions of the people, the living conditions of the animals. It's kind of just like biodynamic agriculture. It's just that with biodynamic agriculture, we use certain preparations, certain herbs, and we follow the moon cycle. We take into account the planetary cycles, the zodiac, and plant and harvest accordingly. This is so interesting to me, Hindi. I, I didn't even know that this existed. Yes, I mean, think about it the tides of the ocean rise and fall according to the moon, right? Right. And there are seasons. And if you observe trees and flowers and plants, I mean, they will flower and fruit at certain times of the year. I mean, this is the rhythm of nature. This is the rhythm of our planet. And biodynamic agriculture takes this into account. So we work with nature, not against it. We don't think we're above it. 
that we can manipulate everything. We try to understand and read nature and work with it. Example, if we have a weed problem or a pest problem in our farm, we don't just attack that weed problem or that pest problem directly. We really ask ourselves, what caused this pest? Where, where do you think this pest come from, came from? Why, why what, is this here this year and not last year? We didn't have this pest last year. So we don't just get a, a spray bottle and just spray all over and, and call it a day, right? We really ask ourselves these things. And then maybe we'll uh, transplant the crops around it. You know, maybe the we, we look under the soil, see what's going on under there, what's happening, you know, all these things. And we look at the time of year as well. So it, it sounds like the way, you know, I do a lot of healing with people, but the way I would approach people I'm working with in a healing session is the way you approach the farm. It's like you're healing and nurturing the farm. You're not just giving it like medicine to make it get better, but you're trying to understand what is the root cause? Where is this coming from? Because from what you're saying, you look at your farm as a living, breathing entity. It has like a, a personality. It, it has a consciousness, which is, I guess, Absolutely. in line with this idea of living consciously and being very conscious about your farming practices, your growing practices, and what you're actually creating through the farm. Yes, 100%. Wow. Absolutely. Many people think that the earth or soil, let's, let's simplify it, that soil is just dead matter that we walk on or build on. But that's so far from the truth. The soil is so full of intelligence. It's so full of microbial activity, teeming with trillions of bacteria and viruses and fungi that actually support all of life on Earth, without which we would all die. So we really need to start paying attention to what happens below our feet. I also, like you, believe that our natural rhythm is tied to the rhythm of nature and that the key to having harmony in our own body has a lot to do with being in harmony with nature because there's a cycle, like you said, there is gravitational effects, the moon, the tides, you know, there is the sun, the air we breathe, and there is definitely a network underneath the ground with the plants and intelligence, as you mentioned. So I, too, seek often to find that balance, not only with nature, but also so I can ground myself and, and, and feel really connected and in tune with the world around me. So how do you recommend other people to start including this in the way they live their life? So how does one practice this or how does one become aware of this connection and establish that rhythm? What are your thoughts about that, Hindi? First of all, I'd like to remind your listeners that we are natural beings. We are born as natural beings. We're divine cosmic beings living a physical life. We're not humanoids. We're not bots. 
we're actually natural beings, though this may evolve into some of us, a portion of the population, slowly losing touch with this reality and creating their own reality into becoming more artificial or more robotic. But essentially, we were born as natural beings. So I would urge your listeners to remember that and reconnect with the frequencies of nature. For example, if you've heard of the Schumann resonance, the frequency of the planet, right? So connecting with that frequency, one of the major things we can do is walk barefoot in nature and ground ourselves into living soil not being i actually have my 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 manifesto is eat clean and get dirty you know getting Mm. dirty to me it means really going out into nature playing in nature my kids are constantly out in the yard whenever i i can take them to the beach or to a forest we go we do forest bathing we do moon bathing we do sun bathing we will bathe in waterfalls i mean one of the one of my favorite doctors that I follow, Dr. Zach Bush, will even recommends bathing in waterfalls and oceans naked. I haven't tried that yet. So maybe that's something we can do, Sanaya. I don't know if you're up to it. <laughs> I love the idea. Oh, my. I mean, I first of all, I love, I love what you said. Eat clean and live dirty in nature, of course. Yes. And I think that's a very powerful and easy thing to remember, you know, and it's about making things easy, integrating it into our life in a way that it is easy for us to do. I mean, go outside and walk in soil. We can do that. We have enough green in the Philippines that everybody can go outside and walk Mm -hmm. on the ground, right? Feel nature underneath your feet. Yes. You talked, uh, Hindi, about the Schumann resonance. I actually teach an entire class about connecting with nature. And I talk a lot about the Schumann resonance, which is the heartbeat of our planet, the heartbeat of our earth, and how we have come so far from that resonance, we feel disconnected. But in terms of doing meditations that ground us back into the earth, or even doing meditations out in a forest, you know, out in nature. These are different ways of connecting with nature. And I, I like what you said about bathing in all this natural energy that we have outside. I think those are some great tips for connecting with nature. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to be right back after this short break. Hey there, this is Nikki Torres. Check out Chief Best Friends, a podcast for work besties everywhere. If you've ever wondered whether business and friendship can mix, then this show is for you. This is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia. Now, Hindi, can we go back to also, you? we were talking a little bit about organic food. I know you basically suggested and you, you explained how biodynamic food is the best kind, but how about like organic food that is processed? How does that fit into everything? That is probably only about 20% of what I consume. I would rather consume something fresh from the palenque 
than an organic processed packaged food. Okay. So it's like biodynamic and then organic and then natural food, organic processed and then processed. I would do biodynamic and permaculture, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would do natural local food, natural local fresh food. There you go. That's that's the second category, natural local fresh food. And then I would go organic certified fresh, right? Which to me, there's always a question mark there. I will, even if I see it's organic, I would just take their word for it. You know, a lot of people send their cooks or helpers or assistants to the supermarket and say, basta, bili kayo na organic. And then they don't really, really check the label, right? So please be careful with that organic stamp. But why natural, local, fresh over organic? Because like I said, I trust those sources more because they're generally more from small family farms around your town, mm-hmm. right? right? Around your town or around like local producers around you, close to you. So yeah, organic, certified on supermarket shelves could have been produced in a commercial scale. And I'm Farm. always very careful about commercial large-scale farming, albeit organic. Okay, that makes sense, actually. So why do you think it's so important to eat well? Why is food and wellness so connected from your point of view, Hindi? And what are the things that might happen in our body, most of which I'm sure we are quite unaware, can be linked back to the food we eat? But Why is it so important to be very conscious about what we're putting into our body? Okay, the very basic thing is, of course, nutrition, right? Which, I mean, we learn in school and you will learn from most nutritionists will tell you, okay, you have to have these vitamins and these minerals and proteins, fats and carbs ratio, you know, that kind of thing. But there are two things that I look at as well apart from the nutritional quality of the food is that is number one, if it's a living, living food, meaning it's got a life force or was grown or produced with the life force or what some, some call chi, the chi, right? The QI, the chi or the etheric energy because everything is energy, right? So even even food, even how a seed, tiny little seed sprouts with all the connections of the, the microbes around it and the fungi and the bacteria and viruses in the soil, all that is like one whole system working together to make that seed sprout, right? And then you have the water and the sun and, and, and it's really this beautiful kind of symphony just to make one tiny little seed sprout. So all that, actually, the plant takes in and expresses. You know, that's why some of the healthiest food you can eat are sprouts, vegetable sprouts, mm-hmm. because it's got all this, the, the, this, the enzymes for growth, 
for the, the hormones, right? Which is what is healthy for us, you know, the the this enzymatic activity, the hormonal activity for, for wellness, for balance, right? On top of that, we need the right balance in our microbiome, mm-hmm. which is mostly in the gut, mostly found in the gut, to manage and balance the rest of our bodily systems, particularly the immune function of our body. So Hindi, you believe that the food we're eating carries a kind of energy and a consciousness, and it's going into our bodies. And when we're eating food that's alive, like there's, a, there's live enzymes in it, you know, it's, it's really grown from the soil and it's alive, okay? Then what we are eating is basically life. But when we're eating food that's essentially like dead, it doesn't have any more life. It's so processed. It's gone through so many different um, stages. Stages is a good word before it made its way to our table. That by the time we're eating it, it's not even live food anymore. It's just a bunch of chemicals and um, sometimes antibiotics and hormones. And we've kind of lost the nutrition that we were supposed to get from the food. I remember someone told me that, you know, what we're eating, the kind of food we were eating 10 years ago or 15 years ago is the organic food we have today. So our food has essentially deteriorated so much that we're not even sure what we're eating anymore. Is it even real food at this point or has it become so processed And I remember something else also that I learned um, through things that I was researching and reading and did something I also uh, teach in some of my classes is this, the idea that the consciousness in our food actually affects us. So for example, a lot of people like to eat seedless watermelons or seedless grapes, right? And obviously these fruits have been genetically modified to stop producing seeds, right? And the fruits grow from these seeds. So when we take away the seeds from the food, fruit, let's say, because of our convenience, right? Because it is inconvenient to pull the seeds out, right? But what we're doing is we are taking the ability of the fruits to reproduce. So essentially, we're making our fruits infertile. And so when we're eating these seedless fruits, we are actually programming our body or charging our our body with infertility. Yes. So what do you think of that? Do you agree with that? This is something I feel quite strongly about that, you know, what we're eating is what we are imbibing. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. And the rise in infertility cases is just proof of yeah. how our food has just been so abused and devoid of the not just natural but really the capacity for regeneration and growth and life-giving qualities yeah and not apart from the seedless fruits there's also genetically modified seafood and all the hormones that goes into dairy production and poultry production so, you know, as, as, as much as I like to eat clean, I'm not an idiot and 
will think that I'm immune to all of this because it's really all over. It's in the air. It's in the water. It's in, it's everywhere, especially in, in first world nations, the, well, actually not even just in first world nations, but even, even here, actually everywhere, almost any country that has a lot of agricultural land, the glyphosate has polluted the air and water so much. The glyphosate is, is basically a weed killer, right? But they also use this not just on farmland, but direct onto grains to, to keep mold away. So, right. And the grains are what's used to feed the chickens and the turkeys. And yeah. So it's 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 really just everywhere and and then the we abuse our that we abuse the antibiotics as well. So we're getting it on all sides. We're getting it from the, our medication and we're getting it from our food and water. You know, Hindi, I was reading an article about how maybe a decade ago, two decades ago, girls would get their period around age 13, 14, 15. But in recent years, little girls are getting their period as young as seven, eight, nine. And this is because our food is so loaded up with hormones. I mean, chicken, poultry is full of Mm -hmm. injected hormones that what's happening is that it is completely distorting the, the menstrual cycles. Yes. And it is bringing on periods a lot younger and earlier for children, which means, you know, we have a certain number of eggs that we can release over our life. The, the number of eggs that we can ovulate, that we can release from the ovaries, they actually have a finite number. And so if little girls are getting their period that young, they're going to go into menopause much earlier as well which means it's going to be a lot more difficult for women to get pregnant and they're going to have difficulty maybe in their 30s. Like everything mm-hmm. is going to move up. And as we're we, already seeing that. We're already seeing that, exactly. So I think the effects of eating food that is so distorted by other you know, additives and um, other processes we're seeing that in terms of the kind of diseases and challenges that people are going through. And I see it a lot in women because a lot of our functions in our bodies really tied into hormones and our entire reproductive system is connected to the hormones. And there's a lot of female related hormonal related diseases that shows up when we are hormonally imbalanced, which we are because of the, the type of food we're eating. Yes. So it is it is something that I think there should be a lot more awareness out there. You know, we should be talking more about these things. And, and I think, you know, just speaking from my own experience, I've done research and I still don't think I, I understand everything. And so I think it's great when we have people like you as, you know, coming from the perspective of a farmer, talking to yeah. us and guiding us about these things. But I know, Hindi, that you haven't always been a farmer, right? I mean, you lived in New York City. You lived in Makati. You worked for, for fashion in, in Rostans for a while. 
Now, how did you transition or why rather is the bigger question? Why did you transition from city life to farm life? Why did you make that decision? And what was that adjustment like? So as I mentioned earlier, the catalyst was really my my children. And my husband and I got to a point where we refused to compromise on the air quality and the food quality. So we thought we had to take certain things into our own hands. And that's why we moved away from the city. But Hindi, was anyone challenged with like, was there any kind of physical manifestation of the food or the, you know, the pollution that was affecting your family? Yeah. Is this something you felt or just something you saw happening? Well, first, first of all, I, my allergies were through the roof and also my eldest son had a lot of allergies and you just, you just kind of shrug these things off, right? Like they're normal, you know, but no, they're, they're actually not, not normal and there's, they need to be addressed. But the, the major thing was my daughter, my second daughter was diagnosed with a neurological condition. And so of which her doctors at that time said, you know, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, the, the brain is fixed and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I'm not the kind of mom that will take that sitting down. So, of course, there's still a lot of things that I leave up to the will of God, if you will. <laughs> but I think there's also a lot of things that we can do. You don't need to just accept whatever is the accepted notion of that given time. You know, when a doctor says that, it doesn't mean that that's a life sentence. I just think they just don't know the answers. So since then, I've spent so much time researching on not just the brain, but the whole body and wellness in, oh, in general. So wellness in terms of food, in terms of medicine, in terms of movement, in terms of education and sound and color and a full sensory experience of what wellness is. That's so that, re- that, that really brought us to where we are today. Sometimes it takes a slap in the face like that, right? <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it, t- it takes a life experience like that. But I say, why wait for, for something like that to happen? Happen. Right? Why not take the initiative? I mean, if, if we this- now know. Right. And if, if this, if this lockdown, if this global crisis we're facing is not enough reason, I don't know what else. I know. I don't know what is. I I don't think we can get a bigger, you know, (laughs) kick in the the butt than this to get us to start being more conscious and aware. But I, I, I understand actually, as you started to talk about what was going on with your children as that being a really big motivating factor I know that I, I know that here in the Philippines, a lot of young kids are suffering with allergies. And something that looks like asthma, it's not really asthma, but it's like the childhood version of it and they grow out of it. But I know that my pediatrician is a, like a pulmonologist and she says it's it's really Manila. It's, it's Makati. That's why. And I know that my kids, you know, when it comes to around September till March, mm-hmm. they tend to get, 
you know, a lot of allergies. They pick up a lot of colds. And it's really interesting because they could have allergies here in Manila, but we'll go to a different country. And the minute they land in a different city, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. And it's gone for like, you know, the duration of our holiday. Mm-hmm. And the minute we land back in Manila, it like turns right back on. And it's literally September to March. And it's the air quality. It's the fact mm-hmm. that we are breathing air that is really problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, and our kids' lungs cannot deal with that. Our air and our food is loaded with heavy metals. Yes. Heavy metals are connected to cancer. So we actually have in the Philippines a really sharp increase in cases of cancer in the last couple of years. Yeah. So it's getting progressively worse. And, and, and other neurological conditions or learning disabilities. And actually heavy metals can be passed down from generation to generation. Generation. We can actually pass it down. We can actually, you know, whatever our great grandparents, if they had any heavy metals, we could have remnants of that now. And you don't need a lot. And they usually, you know, will stay dormant. And you think that you have a pretty healthy body, healthy balanced body. But let's say during very stressful situations or a major life change or major trauma or let's say you get really sick and, and you or any oxidative stress can trigger right those things that the heavy metals so and, any kind any kind of situation where your defenses are low or your immune right. system is compromised and it will trigger these dormant sort of metals or even energies in your body to yes. take over and yes. run rampant i agree with that But now moving into farm life from the city life, how did all of that change for you? And what have been the benefits or the positives of making that shift in your life? Yeah, so initially I thought I could live a double life and have a house in the city, a house in in the suburbs or, or what at that time Laguna was the countryside, not anymore. But initially, I thought we could have a double life and I could still have a career in in fashion in the city. But after a while, I realized, no, I mean, really things have, have to change. And so I resigned from my retail job and I took a sabbatical from fashion. I, I found that the industry was just running on empty, you know, always just planning six months to a year ahead, producing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clothing that after two or three months goes on the sale rack and all this creative energy just, you know, goes to waste. So I, I, I felt a disconnect to that. So I took a break from fashion and just last year went back into it because I found a way to marry it into my lifestyle now. And so I think it, slowed things down a lot for us in a good way we a simple example is like my children's education you know we really let go of the stress of their achievements right or their scorecard their report card or 
you know, ticking off boxes of what your child needs to complete and achieve at a certain age. We kind of let go of that and learn to trust their process and gave more room, more attention to their love for learning. And in the beginning, it was an adjustment. And admittedly, family members and friends would mock us like, oh, your child can't read yet or whatever, or they would get teased by their cousins and all that. But eventually, they get to a point of maturity and independence that you can't buy that you know you you cannot learn you can't buy an online class for that it it's it's really something that they will learn to develop on their own and and, and i think that's that's something that we've seen in our three eldest children and that would not have been possible had we stayed in the city with our jobs at that time and you know the kind of schedule and lifestyle that we led which was very fast paced it's a lot about slowing down correct hindi and and stepping out of that um maybe expectations or the norm of city life but stepping out of it and starting to do things in a slower more intentional way would you say that Yes, I mean, we like for example, we used to eat out a lot, you know, as a family and then we would socialize a lot. We would we forgot to make our own food or or even at home we would have a cook who would make our own food or would shop for us because we were too busy to do that. Not anymore. I mean, we still have our lovely home cook, but we make a lot of food ourselves, even the littlest the 7-year-old will whip up something on his own he'll make his own smoothie or his own dessert and he'll make us try it and you know we we bake bread or we'll make dessert or you know something we, and we eat together we still socialize of course and we'll have friends over or we'll go to friends houses but it's a very different it's a very different social structure around food from what we had in the city You know as you're talking Hindi I'm I'm smiling in my mind because what you're talking about is essentially what a lot of people are doing now with the pandemic. I mean everyone is home, we're not going right. out to eat in restaurants. Most people are cooking their own food. You know life has started to center around our meals which are a lot more or like family oriented. The children are involved because we're trying to engage the children. in as much activity so you know put them in the kitchen put them in the garden you know my my kids are growing plants things that perhaps we didn't get as much time to do before the lockdown so what you went through is sort of a lot of us are going through it in city life you know we're we're learning to we're homeschooling our children so very yeah. much present in terms of school and their learning it's different and that's really what you're talking about and i know there's so many positive benefits to what's going on in terms of how we have rearranged our lifestyles mm-hmm. um, accordingly now indy you started a small backyard farm 
and it has grown into this big farm business. So I believe Holy Carabao is the first organic grocery to do door-to-door delivery of a la carte produce. And in addition to that, you are distributed quite extensively. You have a store here, I believe. So tell me a little bit about the business. And I would love to know where this name came from. Okay. So actually, Holy Carabao started as a very small home-based business because what we had started off as a garden just for our own home, for our own family, you know, just grew. I, I like to say, like, if you take care of the land, it just gives you back a thousandfold, you know. So we'd have so much produce that we started sharing that with family and friends. And it was actually my husband who said, you know, why don't you start really selling it and delivering it to the city, right? So I was so happy when we got our first phone call ordering food. I was like, I was ecstatic. And and for a few years, we were delivering for free all the way to Quezon City. <laughs> so we weren't even making any money, you know, just on, on the delivery alone, right? But it, my, my husband and I came up with the name Holy Carabao because, first of all, we wanted something very Filipino, like like unquestionably Filipino. You know, it's Filipino. Mm-hmm. It's not a buffalo. It's not a water buffalo. It's, right. You know, it, it's, it's really a Carabao. And that's Filipino. Also, we wanted to kind of touch upon the hint at the old school way of doing things, right? Not with too much high-tech equipment, really just exactly how the magsasakas, the farmers of yore used to grow food and their carabao was an indispensable partner and holy because of the holistic aspect of how we grew the food. I love the name, honestly, Hindi. I love the name. And from the time that I started to buy organic, if I saw Holy Carabao, I I didn't even know much about the farm. I didn't do that much research on it back then. But I remember I was always drawn to the Holy Carabao produce. And it's interesting because I really believe energy is everything. And I don't know why it was always like there'd be a couple of different organic varieties. But when I would see your sticker, I would buy Holy Carabao. And there's something about the name, the appeal, the energy. And I think there was a sense of integrity that I would feel from the product. And I think we feel these things, you know, I believe we do feel these things and we gravitate towards things, especially if you're intuitive and you are connected to sort of your inner voice, you will gravitate to things that you know are good for you or you feel they're good for you. So I wish there were more people like you. (laughs) I think it's growing, you know, I think more and more people are starting to understand the benefits of eating clean, right? Now, yes. what is the ultimate goal of the business? Like, what do you really want to do with Holy Carabao? Where is it going? You know, we used to be gunning for widespread distribution. At our biggest, we were in 10 supermarkets, 10 supermarkets, and three different chains. 
three different supermarket chains and we were online as well and we had a store and then you know one year i think that was 2018 we had a team building and we my partner melanie and i had a brainstorming and and we realized that after four years no i think it was more like five years in the supermarkets that it wasn't serving us in the way that we wanted we felt like we were always adjusting to the supermarket business and it, it, we, we we weren't able to really give the customers what they wanted or what we felt they needed you know it was kind of like a a basketball game that we weren't fit for you know anytime you join a game you have to understand that you have to play by the rules of that game and there's right. just cer- certain things that we didn't want to compromise you know like a, a simple example is we had to start using plastic packaging for example right i mean this was a constant uh, negotiation you know like we really don't want to use it can we use banana leaves no because the chillers are because the customers want to see under the the fruit and you have to use cling wrap so there's so, there were so many compromises like that so that eventually we said you know let's forget the supermarkets and focus on our farm business itself our direct home but which was really our dna and how we started from farm to home that was really what we started with and and that's what we decided to continue sometimes the intention we start with is the right one and going back to it i think yeah allows us to be really true to ourselves. So I get that. I get that. Now, Andy, you are a modern day farmer. You're a fashion designer. You're a mother. You're a wife. And on top of that, I know that recently you ran a workshop on creating your own natural medicine cabinet. So first of all, you have so many different things going on, which is amazing. I'd love to know how you balance that. And I would also love to know a little bit more about this natural medicine cabinet and what that's about. Okay. Yeah. I get asked that question. Like, how do you balance it all? And how do you do everything? I'm like, I I also don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the answer is to that. I just do things that I feel will be of value to some people and that will bring some beauty or wellness to the world. And also that ties into something that I'm interested in or something that I feel like I've acquired a lot of knowledge on, right? So I don't do things because it's going to make money (laughs) or it's the trendy thing to do. Yeah, I should start thinking of things. My husband keeps telling me that. Stop doing things for free. Stop, you know, (laughs) selling yourself short. I mean... So that's actually something I need to learn. What I need is a financial consultant. (laughs) That's what I need. need. Anyways, the natural medicine cabinet. Well, I'm a mom of four children. My eldest is 21. And then I have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 7-year-old. So I've been through so many different diets for each one. I've tried so many different diets for them and for myself because each one has their own 
unique issues, right? I mean, one is allergic, one is a neurological condition, the other one has like digestive, I don't know, you know, it's always different and it's always changing. So mm-hmm. I've learned to adapt to that and I read a lot. I've worked with a lot of different kinds of doctors here and abroad in terms of just consulting them and partnering with them as like a doctor patient partner. I ask so many questions. So if the doctor is not the type that likes to answer a lot of questions, we usually don't end up having a long-term relationship. (laughs) So I developed that class to share what I've learned with other parents to, to stock up on a medicine cabinet that is not just full of the usual medications that is like over the counter or that you can find in a typical drugstore. So I, I have a lot of live living herbs, medicinal herbs and spices. I also have a lot of dried flowers, dried herbs, dried roots, And then the rest are mainly immune boosting or I also have like anti-aging or hormonal supplements and the digestive, the nervous system supplements. So it's a whole range. And one day I realized, wow, I I have a lot of these things. I have so many books and I have like this collection of supplements and... I basically have an apothecary and mm-hmm. I might as well share that with other parents. What are the most important things to have in a natural medicine cabinet? What are the things you can't live without? Basically anything that supports the immune system. I would say to have colloidal silver, good quality ionic zinc, good quality liposomal vitamin C, vitamin D, A, and K put together. And then have a lot of like adaptogens. Adaptogens are like so essential now in our lives because of the stressors of life. So adaptogens are help our bodies deal with different kinds of stress, right? which even children are exposed to nowadays. So that's ginseng and astragalus and reishi and cordyceps, different, like, like they're mushrooms and roots and those kinds of herbs. Those, those are the adaptogens. So I will have that. And then there's the homeopathic remedies for all the different aches and pains. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I could probably do an entire episode just discovering all these things in your natural medicine um, cabinet. In fact, I've been reading a lot on adaptogens and I know that's sort of the new trend in the well-being field where a lot of people are venturing into that as a way of boosting our health, our immune Mm -hmm. system and so on. So I do find that also very interesting. Now, um, Hindi, what do you do for your personal well-being? What do you do to take care of yourself? So it it sounds like all these supplements and adaptogens, these are things that you do take for yourself. Is there anything else that you also really swear by or things that you find are very important for your personal well-being? 
I spend a lot of time in nature barefoot. I will, like I mentioned earlier, I will moon bathe. I will sun bathe as much as possible. We'll take the family out to the beach or forest. I will indulge in a good Netflix series. I used to think taking care of myself was having a glass of wine. <laughs> I still think taking care of yourself is a good glass of wine sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I will enjoy a glass of wine or gin and tonic every once in a while or gin and soda. So there's that. And before the lockdown, you know, my husband and I would like to go on dates. It's so important also as parents and to also have time with your friends without the children. Yeah. I used to, I used to feel so guilty about leaving the kids at home or, you know, my husband and I, it took us, gosh, our first trip together as a couple, just as a couple was, was just a few years ago. I mean, our kids were already like our three older kids were very were big already, you know? So right. We had forgotten to be a couple. So it's just things like that. Sounds And wonderful. of course I do I do yoga and I meditate and I exercise and move daily. So at my age I think it's very important to build some muscle. So I, I took up CrossFit and Muay Thai. So and Muay Thai, you know, makes me feel like I can really kick butt. So, you know, putting on a pair of gloves and just hitting some mitts and hitting a bag is is very empowering. I agree completely. Yeah. I took I took a bit of that last year and I was quite into it for a while, but I I I love how, you know, energized it also makes you feel. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Hindi, I have one last last question for you. What is your project loving myself mantra? What is your message? that perhaps you you really believe in or you'd like to share with other people when it comes to self-love? Oh, that's a very difficult question, Sanaya. <laughs> but I think... Well, yeah, honestly, Hindi, I loved what you said, which is eat clean, live dirty. Yes, but like for the self, for self-love, it's only because I already do that, you know? So it's kind of mm -hmm. like I've ticked that box. But right. I would really love... I kind of like that question is something... You know that question, like, what would you tell your younger self? Or yes, yeah. I, I think it, it's also to just trust the flow of your trust your inner knowing. So many times, especially as women, we listen to too many people. We we listen to our parents or our friends, or we listen to to doctors too much, and we forget that we have our own inner knowing for ourselves or for our children, you know, about what's really good for us. And I think if we took the time to trust ourselves, we, we know, we know what's good for us and we know what's good for our families. That's so true. Really. I think a lot of us forget that all the answers are sort of within us. And instead of looking outward, we can look inward. Thank you, Hindi, for this very, very interesting perspective and a perspective that I, I really personally share with you. I do think that 
there's a lot to think about from this episode. So thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your thoughts with us. And I look forward to, to learning more about so many of the different things that you talked about. Thank you again. Thank you so much to Sanaya. You're welcome. And I'm just happy to share some tidbits from my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm just very grateful to have this opportunity to talk to like-minded and like-hearted people and to also share with your listeners. Thank you for this opportunity. I think this episode gave me so much food for thought, no pun intended. Today's message was really about staying grounded, being conscious, and remembering to connect to Mother Earth. I understand that so much of our well-being and our balance is tied into our relationship with nature and learning to build harmony from the ground up. I also loved what Hindi said about trusting your inner flow. I think so many of us are busy listening to what's on the outside that we forget to hear our own inner voice. Let me know what you think. Comment on this episode on at Project Loving Myself Podcast on Instagram, Project Loving Myself on Facebook, and at Sanaya Gurnamal on all social media channels. Do give us a rating on Apple Podcasts as well. I would really appreciate that. Thank you all for joining me this week on the Project Loving Myself podcast, where we open our minds to let in new ideas and insights so that we can live inspired, be better, and find our bliss. Now your Project Loving Myself thought for the week, which I think is so appropriate. We don't inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Now think about that for a second. Sending love to everyone out there. You are so, so loved. This is Sanaya saying goodbye on the Project Loving Myself podcast, powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.